0: All right. We want to begin by saying a big thank you to the Jewish podcast group and our good friend Chaim Chernoff for creating a podcast platform for us and for many others and for all the incredible work he does for the Jewish community. Um, This is very exciting to begin our first Jewish mysticism podcast on the weekly Torah portion starting from the book of Genesis literally from the beginning. And we're entitling this series, The DNA of Creation. We're going to begin by delving into the book of Genesis, the book of Bratius, and to begin to understand some of the spiritual principles in which the world is created. And I hope that it will be inspirational and also practical, and that we'll try to include um, Jewish mysticism and psychology and practical spirituality and self-improvement to help improve our lives as much as we can from the wisdom of the Torah. So I want to begin by opening up the Torah. We're beginning literally at the beginning. This is so exciting. And I want to start by just explaining a little bit about what Torah is. What does that mean when we learn Torah? What is the Torah? So, the according to... Kabbalah, and the the uh, medieval Kabbalists and the commentaries on the Torah, most specifically the Ramban Nachmanides in twelfth uh, century Spain, says that the entire Torah is really name of God. Entire Torah is the name of God, and if we go a little bit deeper, well, the Torah is. A compilation of stories and laws. If you think about it, that's what the Torah is. It's stories about our ancestors, and it's laws about how to live according to the laws of the Torah, mitzvahs. But the reality is, is that the Torah is much, much deeper than that. Because as we said, the Ramban explains that the entire Torah is names of God, but Even deeper than that, the entire Torah is the will of God. When we say that the Torah is names of God, what we mean is a name is a mode of expression and a mode of identification. I have many names. To you, I'm Rabbi G. To my family, I'm Tati, Dad. To my parents, I'm Son. To my wife, I'm Dishwasher. Right, no, And uh, I have many names, depending on the roles that I play and the interactions that I have in the relationship. So when we say that the entire Torah is names of God, we mean that the entire Torah is means of identifying the, the intangible essence of infinity, of connecting and relating to have a relationship with God. That's what we mean. When we say the entire Torah on a deeper level, even deeper than that, is the will of God. The entire Torah is the will of God, because God created the world with a will, with a vision and a purpose for all of mankind, for all of the universe, for all of the cosmos, for all of the spiritual realities. There's a purpose, so the entire Torah is an expression of God's will for reality. So that's a deeper, even deeper level, but there's something even deeper than that. And that is that according to Kabbalah and the Hasidic books explain this even more in depth, the entire Torah is actually God Himself. The essence of God put into something that we can hold on to and relate to. It's God's infinite oneness, infinite light, constricted infinite amounts of times into a vessel that we can actually connect to Him in. So, it's a very big deal that we're about to start the Torah from the beginning. And we hope that through some of our insights, we're going to be able to grasp a little bit about what it is, the will of God, what that means. The siyata de Shemaya, with Hashem's help. And not only that, we'll begin to understand what it means, the names of God the different roles and ways that God interacts in our own personal life and in human history, and ways that we can have a relationship with God in our own life, and ultimately that we can actually connect to God Himself, so to speak. So that's our mission, and it's a very lofty mission, but ultimately it's the mission of the Jewish people, and that is what the Torah is all about. So let us begin, my friends, at... The beginning. We're going to begin at the very beginning. We're going to begin on the first word of the Torah. And in fact, the Vilnagon, one of the great uh, Talmudic masters of Lithuania a few hundred years ago, said that you can learn out the entire Torah from the first sentence of the Torah. And not only that, the entire Torah and all of human history. But not only that, he said, you can actually learn the entire Torah from the first word of the first sentence of the, entire, of the Torah. And not only that, but you can learn the entire Torah from the first letter of the Torah. So that, my friends, is what we're going to do right now. So, does anyone know what the first word in the Torah is? Yes, yeah, I, I know. Let's hear it. Bereshit. 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 Bereshis, and it's a very puzzling word. It's often translated in English as in the beginning. In the beginning is not exactly right, but it's close enough and we'll go with it for now. But in Hebrew it's Bereshis. And the Talmud asks a question. The Talmud is bothered by the fact that the Torah starts with the letter base. What letter would you start the Torah with if you were God writing a book explaining your infinite wisdom, your infinite will? your giving yourself over to humanity. What letter would you start the Torah with? An olive. An Aleph. The first letter in the Torah. Should be an Aleph. The first letter in the alphabet. First letter in the Aleph base. And... The Talmud is puzzled by this. and Talmud says, why does the Torah begin with the letter base? Now, the Talmud gives an answer. And I'll share with you the answer. And then I want you guys to put on your Talmudic hats and think about why the answer is totally not sufficient. The Talmud says, the Torah did not start with the letter Aleph. Because the letter Aleph is also the first letter in the word Arur which means cursed. So the Torah started with the letter base because base is the first letter in the word bracha, which means blessing. So the Torah started with the letter base because of the word bracha, blessing, and it did not start with the letter aleph because of the word arur, which means cursed. Now I want you guys to think very hard about why this answer does not answer the question. Why did this Torah start with the letter base and not the letter Aleph? I mean, there are other words that start with Aleph. Bingo! Ronnie hit it on the head. Because if you think about it, there are plenty of good words that start with the letter Aleph. I'll name a few. Emes, truth, ahava, love, emuna, faith, achdus, oneness. There are so many good words that start with Aleph. And we could also probably think of a bunch of bad words that start with the letter base. So says the Maharal of Prague, the great Kabbalist who lived approximately 400 years ago. We led a trip to Prague that a few of you were on. Actually, most of you were on last winter, if you guys can remember before the days of coronavirus. If you can remember such a thing, and we went oh, to the way. we went to the Maharal's shul. We went to the Maharal synagogue in Prague. Which is the oldest continuously used synagogue in the world. And the Maharal says an incredible insight, which actually we we discussed this insight when we we're in his in the Maharal synagogue. The Maharal says as follows that when the Talmud says that the word that the Torah starts with the letter base, because the word bracha starts with the letter base, it didn't mean that just like we need it because of bracha. No, it meant that the reason the word bracha starts with base is the same reason that the Torah starts with base. So why does the word bracha start with base? So if you guys are familiar with a little bit of Kabbalah, you're all budding Kabbalists, so you might know there's something in Hebrew called gematria. Does anyone know what gematria is? Gematria is the study of the numerical value of the Hebrew letters. Every letter in the Hebrew alphabet is not only a letter, it's also a number. And it's, a, it's actually the, the counting system in Hebrew is using letters. We count years in letters, right? We count dates in letters. So, the letter Aleph has what numerical value? One. Letter base, Two. And so on and so forth. So what does bracha mean? What is the meaning of the word blessing? When we want blessing in our life. Ah, so blessing means, simply put, increase. We want more. More health. More wealth. More children. More happiness. More love. When we say bracha, when we give someone a bracha, we're blessing that they should have increased goodness in their life. So the letter base actually means blessing. Why? Because the letter one is oneness. It's alone. The letter base means increase. More. It means doubling from one. So base, the letter base, is the first letter that represents increase. And the word bracha in Hebrew Every Hebrew word is made up of a root Of three letters It's called a shorish And if you understand the root of the word You understand the essence of the word And you'll see that in Hebrew Hebrew is not like English or Russian Or any other language for that, reason, for that matter The Hebrew is called the holy tongue Lashon HaKodesh The reason it's called the holy tongue Is because every word in Hebrew Has meaning Every single word in Hebrew actually describes the thing that it's representing. The letters themselves, the numerical value, actually has intense meaning. It's not random. In English, a table is called a table, a chair is called a chair, but really it could have been reversed and it wouldn't have made a difference. But in Hebrew, a shulchan actually represents the spiritual essence of what a table is. And in fact, the Balatanya, one of the great Hasidic masters from Chabad said that on his deathbed, he said all he saw was letters. He no longer saw a physical world. He just saw a code, a divine code. And some actually explain that the Torah itself is all, when we say the entire Torah is names of God, is all a code, a numerical code in some way for God. And there's actually a movie written about this uh, many, many years ago. One, the Sundance Film Festival, it was called Pi. And it was about a mathematician, happened to be a Jewish mathematician who discovered a numerical code for God. And he was kidnapped by a Hasidic group. It's, it's a very interesting movie, but um, actually has a lot of Kabbalistic meaning in the movie. And I met a guy many, many years ago who was a mathematician who saw that movie and was incredibly inspired. And he started to plug in numerical codes into the Torah to try to crack the ultimate code of the Torah, he looked at the entire Torah as num- as numbers and he said he started to go into it and he discovered incredible things and this guy actually wasn't Jewish and he ended up converting to Judaism and I uh, I met him in Israel when he was starting his conversion process and I saw him many years later he was a Hasidic Jew so uh, very interesting um, very interesting story so the Torah, the entire Torah is the name of God. And it's a numerical code. And we want to understand. So the word bracha is made up of a root of three letters. And those letters are base, resh, and kaf. And now let's understand the numerical value of each of those letters to understand the meaning of the word bracha. So the letter base, we already said, is the number 2. The letter kaf is the number 20. And the letter resh is the number 200. So the word bracha is two hundred and twenty-two. So if you think about it, the word berech, the root of the word bracha, if you think about it, the word bracha actually represents increase. It in- represents increase in the ones from the number two, and it represents increase in the tens, number twenty, and it represents increase in the t- in the hundreds, two hundred. The word bracha actually means increase, and that is the secret that the Talmud is telling us. The Torah begins with the letter base. Because the Torah is the beginning of the world of other. The world of multiplicity. What was there before there was a beginning? What existed before the beginning of space, time, and matter? What existed before page one of the Torah? Okay? Either one or infinity. Excellent. So before the Torah, all there was was oneness. All there was was God. And that is synonymous with the, with the number infin- infinity. God was all there was. So some think, in modern science, the concept of the Big Bang, some think that so what preceded, according to modern science, the Big Bang? So the Big Bang was the beginning of space, time, and matter. So what was there before space, time, and matter? There was something that was beyond space, beyond time, beyond matter. Right? The Big Bang was the beginning of something. What was there before there was something? There was nothing. And we call that nothingness, God no thing cuz god is the only thing that isn't a thing the word thing doesn't work when we talk about god god is not a thing god is isness and in fact the hebrew word for god is a four letter code which basically means existence or reality god isness god is that's the best we can do to describe god but the but the way we refer to god as is as oneness. Because that isness had no parts. Because parts are things. That isness just was. Completely one. Complete oneness. If you can wrap your head around that, if you can meditate on that, you're going to have a uh, a, a high experience. So, the Torah did not begin with the letter Aleph, because Aleph preceded the beginning. The Torah begins from the Big Bang. And just like science has Big Bang, which is BB, so we also have a Big Bang in the Torah, and that's called the first two letters of the Torah, the first two words, Barathez Bara, Base, base. In the beginning of God created. Barathez barra Elokim. In the beginning, God created. So, I want to try to understand a little bit more about what that means, and in fact, it's quite fascinating. Because like we said, That the Big Bang, according to science, was the beginning of space, time, and matter. So whatever preceded the Big Bang, whatever started the Big Bang, was beyond space, beyond time, and beyond matter. That means it was infinite. It was not physical. It existed beyond time. That sounds like a pretty good definition, in scientific terms, of what we call God. So... In fact, the Kabbalist, the Ramban, who we quoted earlier, describes the creation process as going from nothing to something. And the way he says that God did that was by creating a tiny little speck of matter. One tiny speck of matter that had no shape or form, that was hardly physical. And he says, and from that tiny speck, everything came out of. What does that sound like? In scientific terms, anyone? Sounds pretty darn close to the concept of the Big Bang, that from a speck the side of a mustard seed came all of existence, all of matter. So, I want to try to understand a little bit about why God created the world and if we can begin to understand these first few words of the Torah, and we're going to talk a little bit about the creation of Adam. And we'll see a paradigm that is, exists throughout the entire Torah and throughout all of human history and all of life. So the Ramban, again, explains that this word, Bereshis, in the beginning, refers to the beginning of God's expression of His essence to us. In Kabbalah, God expresses Himself through something called the Ten Spheros, You may have heard of them. Ten energies. The word "sphera" I think we've discussed in the past, is a very interesting word. It's related to a number of other Hebrew words, and I'll show you now the magic of Hebrew language. The word "sphera" is related probably to the English word sphere, which means like a world. It's also related to some other words that have made their way into English. The word s- evin sapphire is a precious stone, otherwise known as a sapphire. Sapphire is a Hebrew word related to the word sphirot or safer. Safer refers to a book. The word mispar is the same Hebrew word. That root that means a number. A number. It also, we have um, for something to shine. Comes from the word safer, the same root. To talk, le saper, means to speak. Okay? What do all these words have in common? Number, a book, uh, to count, to shine, to speak. What do all those numbers have in common? All those words have in common. So, Feel free to jump in. I don't mind if anyone wants to comment here and there. Just save questions for the end. So all those words have to do with expression. With something emanating forth. And we actually translate spheros as emanations. But there's something even deeper. There's one more word that's related to the root of safer or sphera, which is very different. And with that, we'll understand the deeper meaning of the word sphera. Le saper means to get a haircut in Hebrew, or to cut something. And that doesn't really fit. So I believe the the deeper meaning behind this root word is that in order to express anything, a number, do you know what a number does, or a word does, or, or saying something to someone? It takes something that is intangible, something that's almost infinite, one A thought that I'm having is completely inaccessible to you. And by putting it into words, what I'm doing is I'm cutting it down to size, to something that's tangible, to something that you can digest and relate to. That's what expression is all about, is taking something very big, the concept of a number, which is extremely abstract, and making it tangible. Make it, cutting it down to size. And that's exactly what the spheros are. In Kabbalah, there are means in which the infinite oneness of God put himself into a vessel that we can relate to him. And those are are referred to as the attributes of God. So when the Torah says that God loves and that God gets angry and that God speaks, those are all referring to different attributes and different expressions of God's oneness and infinite essence brought down into reality that we can relate to it so i apologize if this was too lofty for some of you but um we'll try to bring it down to earth right now so the the ramban explains that the very first word of the torah that the torah was created the talmud says the torah was created with ten how did god create the world let me ask you does anyone know how God created the world, according to the Torah? Um, through His speech. Through His speech, and God said, "Let there be light." And in fact, the um, one other amazing Talmudic reference uh, from the Zohar actually says that God looked. It's not that God created the world and then created the Torah. On the contrary, the Zohar says God looked into the Torah and created the world. That the Torah is the blueprint, the DNA. We've entitled this this program, this, this weekly class, the blueprint, the DNA of creation. That God looked into the Torah and used it as a guide with which to create the world. So God created the world using speech. And I might have shared with you that I was blown away. And I actually just started rereading a book on quantum physics that I've been reading for about eight years now. I haven't gotten through it yet. It's pretty dense. It's actually written for laymen, for people that don't have a scientific background, but it's still incredibly hard to read. And the chapter I just got up to is on string theory. So I don't know if you guys know the, the idea of super strings is a theory, which is, is pretty, has a lot of scientific uh, evidence behind it, That the smallest element of creation underneath atoms, underneath quarks, is something called strings. And do you know why they're called strings? Because they vibrate in various frequencies, like music. Literally, creation is made up of vibrations. And the Torah tells us clearly what those vibrations are. Those vibrations are the reverberations of God's speech. When we say that God speaks, what we mean is that he, the, act, the process of speech is taking something that's hidden, that's inside my mind, and bringing it out into expression that you can connect to it. And that's exactly the idea that we're referring to. When God speaks, he's bringing himself out into revelation. So the Talmud says, the world was created with ten utterances, with ten sayings. But the Talmud points out a problem. The Talmud points out that there are really only nine times in the Torah that God says, let there be. And God said, let there be. So the Talmud answers that the word boratius, the word in the beginning, is actually the hidden speech of God. The word boratius is actually the first saying but it was before there was anything to hear, right? Like if a tree falls in the forest and there's no one there to hear it, does it make a sound? It's the hidden speech of God. And in that moment, in that first utterance, in the beginning was the explosion into existence that took place as nothing created a minute speck of something. Very similar to the Big Bang. Is your mind blown? So, Bereshis is the hidden speech of God. And the Ramban, the famous Kabbalist from Spain in the 1200s, points out that the word "Rachius," beginning in the Torah, whenever we find something referring to the beginning, and there are a number of mitzvahs that have to do with the first. First born animal, first born son, first shearing of crop, first fruit, refers to the first emanation of God. The first of those Sfirot's. The first of those spiritual essences, which is more or less compared to the mind of God. That first spark of insight. The first flash of light, which is referred to by the Ramban as Chachma, which has, is insight. Insight, spark of an idea. If you ever have a spark of an idea, like a flash, like a light bulb above your head, which is just like in that split instant, you get the creative vision of the entire picture. So that's what happened in that instant. All of history, all of reality, all the laws of physics took place in a split second. And in fact, the Big Bang Theory supports that idea that in a split millisecond after the Big Bang, all the laws of physics were created. In a split in a millisecond. From the moment time began, everything existed. And the Torah goes on to explain that in the six days of creation was a process of things going from potential into actuality as we go through the six days of creation. So now, moving right along. So what is this process of creation? And what is this first spark called Chachma? So I want to jump ahead a little bit further into the Torah and then we'll go back to that first word again and tie it all together. So, what is this whole process of creation? What is this world? What is it? Why are we here? So, I want to explain an amazing idea that comes out from the story of Adam and Eve. And with that, we're going to understand something incredibly deep about human nature and the purpose of reality. So, you guys, I'm sure, are familiar with the story, God created Adam Then he put Adam to sleep, he took off his rib, and with that rib created Eve. You guys all heard the story? So the reality is, according to the Talmud, that's not what happened. You guys know this? According to the Talmud, Adam and Eve were actually not created at separate times. The Talmud says, and if you look at the close reading of the Torah, it actually supports this. Very literally, God created Adam, male and female. He created them. That Adam, the Talmud says, was actually a being that was a composite of male and female. One side was male, the other side was female. God created Adam as a a whole being that consisted of two opposite parts. And then, when he took, put Adam to sleep, and took off that rib, well, the Torah doesn't really use the word rib. The Torah uses the word side He cut off one side and removed it. And now Adam and Eve became separate beings. And the Torah says the goal is that men and women should cling to each other and be like one flesh. The goal is to come back together. So let me ask you guys a question. If the purpose of Adam and Eve is to come back together as one, so what's the obvious question? Feel free to unmute yourself. Um, can I, is it possibly like, um, you know, people of different genders, you know, having, loving each other? But what's the point? If, if the goal is that they should come back together as one and yet they started as one. So what's the, uh, what's the problem? Why do they separate? What do we need the separation process? What do we need to go through this whole game? Why don't we just keep us as one? Let Adam and Eve be one from the beginning. So from this, we get an incredible, incredible insight that Adam and Eve began as one being. Our souls, before we came into this world, were one together with our soulmate. We were whole. And then... We were thrown into the world of multiplicity. We were thrown into the world of separation and disparity. We were thrown into a world of suffering and emptiness. A world where we don't see oneness. We don't see wholeness. Where we're broken and alone. And our job is to become whole again. To heal ourselves and to connect to another in oneness. So, it's a beautiful idea I, I have a in finding your soulmate. Yeah. So, when you say we need to become one, does that mean that the Jewish people need to become one? Does that mean humanity? Mm-hmm. Great question. So, a prayer that we say... On Rosh Hashanah, on Rosh Hashanah, we literally meditate on the purpose of creation. And one of the most beautiful prayers that is, for me, the focal point of the prayer on Rosh Hashanah is that the entire world should become a Guda Achas. The entire world should become one bonded society. <speaking in Hebrew> to serve God as one. With a, with a, with a, with a complete heart. So the goal is that all of humanity should come together as one to reveal God. So our job in this world is to become whole. And I want to just touch on one more point. So if we go back to creation, before day one, when all there was was oneness. All there was was God. So why would God create a world? Why do we have to go through this process of separation from oneness? So I want to share with you a beautiful idea that I heard from one of my friends and mentors Rabbi Yitzchak Feldheim, you might have heard this, some of you, says a beautiful idea. He says there are two ways to create music. There are two ways to sing. You and I can both sing together, and we can sing the exact same note. What do you call that? It's called singing in unison. But there's another way to sing. There's a way to sing that you and I can sing completely different notes and yet come together in perfect harmony. Which is a greater expression of oneness? Unity or harmony? Harmony is much more beautiful. So says Rabbi Feldheim that God in his essence is complete unity. Complete undifferentiated oneness. Just like Adam and Eve before creation. They were one that did not have distinction. God threw us into the world, into a world of disunity, into a world of disparity, into a world of disharmony, in order that we can come together with our differences and create harmony. He gives a beautiful metaphor. You ever play make a puzzle as a kid? So you ever make one of those, like, 200-piece puzzles? It's like, throw it all over the floor. It's like a chaos. It's a mess. It's crazy. You work. You work. Finally, you put together a beautiful picture of, like, a mountain or a castle. And some people actually mount it on cardboard and put it up on the wall. So he asked the question, why go through all that work? Why not just cut out the picture from the box of the puzzle, throw away the pieces, and put the picture on the wall? The answer is obvious, yeah? No, I was going to say the beauty is in creating and doing the work and then seeing the picture especially when you don't look at the box beautiful the beauty is the process the beauty is the effort and it's much more beautiful that you took all those random pieces and created a picture so that's the purpose of life God threw us into a world of chaos into a world of sickness suffering, war, poverty disparity bigotry, hatred, jealousy, in order that we can put back the pieces of the puzzle to reveal the hidden oneness, the hidden speech of God that is reverberating throughout the cosmos. It's underneath the surface. If you don't see unity, if you don't see beauty and peace and oneness, you just have to look deeper. It's really your glasses that are foggy it's not the world's mistake so we're in this world to put back the pieces our soul comes into this world alone lonely afraid in order to reconnect with other that's the process of marriage that two become one but the oneness is not this this uh uh differentiated oneness It's oneness of two who are completely different. That's the idea of male and female who are actually interacting for one common goal. That's the idea of becoming one. The greatest oneness, the greatest expression of peace is when opposites come together. It's not when everyone's the same that we express oneness. It's when everyone's different. And that's really the Jewish vision of world peace and the Messianic era. It's not like John Lennon's vision of oneness. John Lennon's vision of oneness is imagine all the people, no religion, no countries, no personality types, all of us living as one. That's not the Jewish vision. The Jewish vision is religions, and cultures, and countries, and races, but all coming together. To serve God in one, oneness of heart, and completeness. So that's, That's really our vision of why this world was created, to create harmony, to reveal God's oneness in the world of separation, in the world of distinction. But what's the difference between Judaism, Christianity, and Islam when it comes to this question? Ronnie, wait, we'll come back to that at the end. Save questions for the end, if you don't mind, if it's off topic a little bit. I want to come back to it, though. So hold your question, Ronnie. We're going to finish the recording in a minute. So... The process of creation is God's Chachmah, which is the first revelation, which is the spark of an idea. And that in Kabbalah is considered a masculine energy. It's the idea of creative potential. Then comes something called Bina. If you guys have ever heard of Chabad Hasidus, so Chabad Hasidus is actually an acronym. The word Chabad is actually an acronym for three spiritual emanations, three sphero, the first three which corresponds to the mind of God, which is Chachma, Bina, and Das. So Chachma is that first insight. Then comes the feminine, which is called Bina, which is related to the word bone, which means to build. Bina is cognition. It's an analysis where you take that spark of creativity and you break it down into an actual plan, something that's actualizable, something that you can actually bring into the world of action. And make it real. That's the idea of the feminine in the procreation process. The male provides an infinite amount of genetic material, infinite sparks of potential life. And the female chooses one and then makes it real, defines it, gives it length, width, and depth, gives it reality, gives it life. And she brings that out into reality. And then comes the third, the third of these three, which is really the birth, the child, and that's called das, and Das has to do with Adam and Eve. In the story of Adam and Eve, in the Bible, it says that Adam knew Eve. What is the word knowledge? Adam Das has to do with the idea of intimate connection, intimacy. It's when it becomes part of you. You have a flash of an idea, you give it length, width, and depth, you begin to define it as right brain and left brain. And then comes das, which corresponds to the medulla, the back of the brain which is where it reconnects to your spine and it becomes part of you. You know it. It's yours. It intimately becomes part of you and then it changes you. Then it gives birth to your emotions, which give birth to your actions. The entire Torah is a journey of God's mind coming into the world of action. And that's literally our meditation every single day when we put on tefillin, is the journey of what we know in our mind to what we are In our actions. It's not enough in Judaism. To believe in something. You have to do it. You have to live it. So. That's the process of creation. And we'll conclude with one last idea. And that's that Adam and Eve. Eat. From the tree. Does anyone know the tree that they eat from? The tree. Of knowledge. The eights. Hadas. Now we understand the word das means intimate connection. It's not That's just not the name of it though. There's more to the name. It's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Etz vera. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the Jewish mystics explain that when we talk about the tree, we're referring to a time when good and evil was intimately connected. The tree of knowledge is a time when there wo- good and evil were one. They were combined. They were in intimate connection. When Adam ate from the tree, good and evil became separate. There became, in a sense, it took from a time before good and evil and brought it into a reality where there's good and evil that's now all confused in the world. Eight hadas. Good and evil became mixed up. And our job, once again, is to go into the world and to separate the good and the evil to bring out the good that's hidden in the evil. To see the good, to see the oneness in everything. And ultimately to come back together again. To show that there was good the entire time, even in the evil. And that's that's the idea that everything is a reverberation of God's speech and God's oneness. And our job is just to look through, pick up the pieces of the puzzle. To look through the darkness of reality and to see the hidden oneness, to see the hidden speech of God and to recognize that God is speaking to us every moment of our lives. And if we can really hear that, hear that speech in every interaction, in every moment, there are no failures. There are no setbacks. There are no tragedies. Everything at the basis of it is good. Everything at the basis of it is God. So I want to bless us all as we begin this journey together of exploring the Torah through the lens of Jewish mysticism, we should be blessed to connect to these ideas and to internalize these ideas and to integrate these ideas into our own lives to become truly greater people and truly more godly people. And ultimately what that means is to become holy. What do we mean by holy? We mean holy with a W. We mean complete. We mean people who are shalom, who are at peace, people who are shalim, people who are whole. So thank you guys for joining me. And now I'm going to stop the recording and open it up for questions.